get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. And today's big thing is that we might be headed back to the new normal, whatever it is. I guess you don't go back to the new normal when it's new, but we might might be headed toward our new normal. Mayor Lida Cruson saying yesterday that she and County Executive Sam Page are looking at their options in regards to opening up the economies of the city and the county of St. Louis, and they'll have more for us later in the week. They're obviously uh, working with the constraints of the coronavirus, but then also Michelle it's notable that uh, yesterday, former Major Leaguer Trevor Plouffe tweeted that he has heard that Major League Baseball is going to come back with spring training starting on June 10th, games starting in July. And uh, in talking to people that are close to Major League Baseball, they don't think that Trevor Plouffe's beliefs are that far off. The scoop from Plouffe. <laughs> there you go. Um you know, Randy, hearing you say all that, to me, that means that there's a light at the end of this pretty mm-hmm. dark tunnel, that whether it's mid-May, end of May, early June, that we will start to see some of these restrictions lessened and get back to what our new normal will look like, but give us more f- freedom to to open businesses and, and go out and do things responsibly. But most importantly, that sports is coming back and hopefully sooner rather than later. And obviously, there's a lot of work to do to get to from point A to Z, but over the course of the next 10 days, I would anticipate that Major League Baseball will get a lot of those issues resolved. And I, I would think in the next 10, 12 days that MLB will have an announcement about the their plans for returning to action without fans. Well, we've consistently said that it's going to take one of these leagues to, you know, if you will, rip the Band-Aid and say this is what we're doing and we're going to stick to it, be the first domino to fall. Do you think it will be baseball that's the first to come out and say this is our plan and we're sticking to it? I think it will because it's a non-contact sport. I think it's more difficult for basketball and hockey with the contact that the sports have mm-hmm. to be able to to rush right in and start playing. And it's easier to get in baseball shape, I would think, aside from a pitcher, than hockey or basketball shape. These guys, have, many of them haven't been running or skating, and they just aren't physically prepared. When we spoke to Chris Kerber yesterday, the voice of the Blues in the Blues booth, I asked him about that, about if he had heard from players or from people within the Blues organization about how difficult it's been for players to stay in game shape. And he said, hey, the fact of the matter is, is they're not going to be in game shape. They can't skate. They're not having those practices. So people just need to realize that, that we're not going to see them at the level they were when the season ended and that it might take some time to build that back up. We are celebrating Chris Duncan's birthday. He would be 39 today. And as we mentioned, you can get a Dunctionary t-shirt at 101ESPN.com. I retweeted it at Randy Carricker and Michelle is on Twitter at M. Smallman and you're also on Instagram. At M. Smallman and, and you're also on Instagram, Randy. R- it's RJ Carricker. Yeah, I'm an Instagram guy now. I've, I've, I've made the trek over. You guys, I, follow Randy on the gram. Yeah. Great content on the gram. Randy, is there a reason that you went RJ Carriker on Instagram and Randy Carriker on Twitter? Was Randy Carriker not available? No, it was available. I just, uh, I did it because that's my uh, Facebook thing. And I guess Facebook and Instagram are somehow intertwined. I think and Facebook so, owns Instagram. Oh, do they? Yeah. So, yeah, that's how that happened. I just, I just signed in with Facebook. Look at, there you go. <laughs> See, uh, I would tell you that you should just get at Randy Carriker as well, because then you can just say, hey, follow me at Randy Carriker on Twitter and Instagram. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll do that today. I've got time. 
Um, and while we're on the social train, everyone should follow at 101 ESPN on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram as well. We, when Dunk passed away, put together a video to honor and memorialize him. We shared all of our favorite stories about Dunk and about having him as our teammate. And we just posted that on our Twitter page at 101 ESPN. It's a, it's a great video. So if you have the time, please go over there, click it, and, you know, enjoy watching us reminisce about our friend. A popular catchphrase here in St. Louis, especially among sports fans, is uh, that I got the tight cheeks. You got nervous. <laughs> and that's part of the Dunctionary t-shirt. And uh, here's how that all got started. How tight were your cheeks, Dunk, right before you saw Schwarber <laughs> hit the top of the wall? They were tight. They were really tight. <laughs> I don't know how you measure that. You put something in between the cheeks that measure the tightness. Can measure the uh, the pressure. The pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if you could fit anything in there. Not even a BB. How about that? I don't think a BB would have fit. Uh, Write that down, Dan. <laughs> Write that down. Even if it was greased up, no BBs fitting in no there. No BB. That's tight, huh? Those are some tight cheeks. Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> Only he could get away with that, too. Right. It was just so pure dunk that it had to make you laugh no matter what he said how ridiculous it was from the 314 dunk was just a classy guy i enjoyed his fun attitude he always made me laugh happy b-day b-day man yeah and uh he he was a guy that uh, whatever the circumstances were he was one that a made you laugh and b wanted to laugh with you he, we talked about how serious he was, how prepared he was at all the uh, at his craft at all times. But mostly, we've been reminiscing about just how the life of the party that Chris Duncan was, and how apropos that he was born on Cinco de Mayo, a day that's mm-hmm. that's celebrated for a guy that was just kind of a walking celebration. He was the best. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Ordinarily, when we're doing this show, we're going to do the fight, which used to be the 4 o'clock fight. Now it's just the fight because it doesn't happen at 4 o'clock anymore. And I'll be honest with you. We were trying to think of a good alliterative for <laughs> the fight, and management wanted to keep it the fight. So uh-huh. we, we thought of, like, uh, the morning melee or the breakfast battle. But, hey, management says the fight. It's the fight. <laughs> Normally, it's going to take place at 8.30. Today, because Tony uh, could only come on with us at 8.30, we've moved the fight to 9.15. And the fight is coming your way next, right? Yeah, it is. And honestly, we wouldn't normally ever move the fight. But when Tony LaRusso wants to come on at 8.30, the fight gets bumped. Yeah, no problem at all there. I can handle it. I've gotten a little more time to uh, prepare. Yeah, honestly, I feel badly for the fighter because you're definitely more awake now than you were an hour ago, (laughs) so they're in trouble. (laughs) The fight is next on 101 ESPN. All right, welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 9.16 a.m. Normally the fight's going to be at 8.30, but as we mentioned before the break, when Tony LaRusso wants to come on to share stories about Chris Duncan at 8.30, you move the fight to 9.15. So it's a special 9.15 version of the fight today. We have Tommy Freeze Pops here checking in from his apartment as I'm staring at him through through a screen. But Tom, <laughs> before we welcome in our fighter today, what is the fighter actually playing for? They are playing for a gift card to Randy Carricker's local restaurant pick of the week, Bandana's Barbecue. Bandana's Barbecue is offering online ordering and open every day, 11 to 8 p.m. for catering, curbside pickup, delivery from DoorDash, and offering special family-style feasts menu. We also have a chance to score a gift card all week long on the 101 ESPN app. For everyone not playing in the fight today, enter the code word RANDY. 
spelled R-A-N-D-Y, if you did not know how to spell Randy. Oh, thank you. So there you go. Tom for Bandana's <laughs> gift card. <laughs> alerting us how to spell Randy. Okay, before we welcome in Brandon, who's going to be our fighter, a lot of people don't know this about Tommy Freeze Pops, but... Before he was a stellar radio producer, he actually was kind of a sauce connoisseur, a condiment connoisseur, if you will. He actually had a, a blog called The Sauce Boss. Correct. And here in St. Louis, you mentioned Bandana's Barbecue as our prize today. We take big pride in our barbecue. And Tom, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I know that you've had sauces. I know you've had barbecue all across the country. Where do you put St. Louis barbecue on your barbecue power rankings? And honestly, tread lightly here. I'm just going to be yeah. No, no, it's it's funny you bring that up, Michelle, because I actually had Bandana's barbecue sauce this past weekend for the first time. And let me tell you, it was incredible. <laughs> and St. Louis barbecue sauce is, is number one. It's not even close. I mean, when I came here for my interview, I had one bite of it at whatever ribs place we were at, and I was in heavens. But Bandana's this past weekend, I had the spicy barbecue sauce. Ooh, yeah. Unreal. Really, really good. I put that on a, on a little pork chop. It was unreal. So... Uh, I, I love St. Louis barbecue sauce. It, it's it's right at the top for me. Good to know. Sauce boss approved. All right, well, let's welcome in Brandon, our fighter today. Brandon, how you doing today? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Sorry to make you so hungry there, but maybe it'll motivate you to take down Randy and win this bandanas prize. I'm going to do my best. Awesome. You ready to go? Happy birthday, Dunk. Happy birthday, Dunk. Absolutely. All right, Brandon. Question number one. 52 years ago today, the St. Louis Blues played in their first Stanley Cup final game in franchise history. It was a 3-2 to overtime loss to Montreal. Who started in goal for the Blues in that game? Was it Glenn Hall, Seth Martin, or Bob Johnson? Glenn Hall. Six different St. Louis Cardinals have won National League Rookie of the Year. Who was the most recent Cardinal to win this award? Was it A, Yadier Molina, B, Adam Wainwright, or C, Albert Pujols? Albert Pujols. Question number three. On this day in 1969, one of the greatest players in NBA history, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, signed his first NBA contract. Which team did he sign this contract with? Was it the Los Angeles Lakers, the Milwaukee Bucks, or the New York Knicks? Milwaukee Bucks. When the Rams played in their first regular season game as the St. Louis Rams in 1995, it was on the road at Lambeau Field. The Rams won that game 17-14. Who was the starting quarterback for St. Louis? Was it A, Kurt Warner, B, Tony Banks, or C, Chris Miller? Sorry, what was that, Brandon? Tony Banks. Okay, Tony Banks. All right, let's bring Randy in. Tom, you, as a former producer of Randy Carrickers, who has to put together the fight, putting together these questions every day is quite the task. How's it been for you to, to curate the fight? I'm so nervous every single day. I'm like, is this too easy? I don't know. I, I don't want to not challenge Randy, but I also want to give the listeners a chance. So, oh, man, I, I sweat a lot putting them together. I think you might sweat a lot anyway, but let's that's, blame that's it on the fact. fight. All right, Randy Carricker is in-house. Randy, say hello to your challenger and Brandon. Hey, Brandon, how you doing? Doing good, Randy. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Question number one, Randy. 52 years ago today, the St. Louis Blues played in their first Stanley Cup final game in franchise history. It was a 3-2 to overtime loss to Montreal. Who started in goal for the Blues in that game? I'll go with... Uh, I'm going to... They had Hallam. I'm going to go Glenn Hall. Six different St. Louis Cardinals have won the National League Rookie of the Year award. Mm-hmm. Who was the most recent Cardinal to win that award? I believe it was Albert in 2001. 
Question number three, Randy. On this day in 1969, one of the greatest players in NBA history, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, signed his first NBA contract. Which team did he sign that contract with? Did he actually sign it, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, though, or did he sign it, Luel Cinder? Oh, look at this. <laughs> when he was signed with the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> technicality, <And> Randy. Randy. <laughs> yeah, it was a technicality. Randy, last question here. When the Rams played in their first regular season game as the St. Louis Rams in 1995, it was on the road at Lambeau Field. The Rams won that game, 17-14. Who was the starting quarterback for St. Louis? Okay, the key to the game <laughs> was a blocked punt by future Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce, which I think was his last special teams play in the NFL. And then on the very next play, Chris Miller, the starting quarterback, hit Isaac for a touchdown that uh, provided the winning points, if I'm not mistaken. So Chris Miller, but Isaac was the star of that game. We have a winner. This one was a nail biter. Randy edged out Brandon four to three. So close. You you almost had him. Fifty two. Uh, I know. So close. Fifty two years ago today, the Blues f- played their first Stanley Cup final game in franchise history. Overtime loss to Montreal. Glenn Hall started for the Blues. Mr. Goalie in that game. That's right. Albert Pujols is the most recent Cardinal to win the National League Rookie of the Year award. Uh, Lou Alcindor or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar signed his first contract with the Milwaukee Bucks, first NBA contract, and the first starting quarterback for St. Louis in their first regular St. Louis Rams in their first regular season game was Chris Miller. Who wound up being the quarterback's coach for Lindenwood University years later. His son played there and Chris came back as the quarterback's coach. So, uh, Thank you, Brandon. We appreciate you having uh, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All Thanks right, take care. And uh, we thank you very much for tuning in. One thing about that game, and I found the videotape Many years, actually, after the Rams had left, Kenny Albert did the very first Rams game in Green Bay. Really? Yeah, so I I asked him about that last year during the Stanley Cup. He didn't even remember that he had done the first St. Louis Rams game. (laughs) Wow. You'd think. (laughs) I mean, that's something that would sit with you. But when you have a career like that and you do so many big games, I'm sure it was just another day at the office, right? Uh, How many other guys do NFL, NHL, I think he still does NBA, and uh, MLB? He did, and uh, at the network level, he's doing Major League Baseball, the NFL, and the NHL. Uh, I can't think of another person off the top of my head, but if there's, I'm sure there's somebody that is close to that or has a resume like that. It's a small group. It's a very small group that's able to do all those different sports like that. It's a talent. Yeah. He's a really good guy. And last year when, uh, I think it was when the Blues beat San Jose, he mentioned at the end of the broadcast that Jack Buck had done the first Stanley Cup final. And that really touched Joe. I know they connected over that. So he, he understands. He's a for, for a New Yorker, he gets St. Louis. He's a pretty good guy. Love Kenny that. Albert is. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN on this day that we celebrate the memory of Chris Duncan. And Dan McLaughlin is already here. And Dan had a great relationship with Dunk. Dan's another guy who does a really good job of welcoming young players to the Cardinals and developing relationships with them. And that 06 team, remember it was interesting, and we didn't ask Tony about it, but Tony loved his veteran pitchers, especially veteran bullpen pitchers. Well, everybody got hurt that year. So he's got Wayno. Randy Flores was a, a veteran, but he's got a rookie closer. He's got Brad, who's in his second year down there. He's got Josh Hancock. He's got Josh Kinney. He's got Tyler Johnson. It was basically a bullpen full of kids that Tony was forced to rely on, and they did a fantastic job. 
Yeah, you're, you're giving the kids the keys to the to the car, right? Yeah. To a very expensive and important car, but they delivered. And by the way, Jason Isringhausen was a huge part of that because it wasn't just Wayno that he worked with, but he tried to explain to all of those kids about being a relief pitcher. Most of them had started. So he wanted them to deal with the pressure. He taught them how to breathe because a lot of times we get into a pressure situation and we don't. And that's one of the things that as a closer, as he had been through a million times, and that was the big thing. If you ask Wayno now, the big thing is take a deep breath so that you're yourself when you throw that pitch. I loved when we spoke to Izzy uh, when he talked about passing that on to those younger players and how people had done it to him, and he made sure that he did it with, with those young guys, Wayno at the time. And to now look where we sit in 2020 and how Adam Wainwright has done that with the Jack Flaherty's and all of these young Cardinals pitchers that have come up throughout time. It's, it's amazing to watch that lineage grow. Coming up here on Carriker and Smallman, you're killing me. We've got our first meetup in this show. And oh, it, where is it? It's uh, for the 930 Y-O-U-R apostrophe R-E. You're killing me. You're oh, man. killing me, Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> I have fat fingers, Randy, okay? <laughs> yeah, you and my last producer. <laughs> it's coming your way on 101 ESPN. One of my favorite segments in this new show, Character and Smallman, is You're Killing Me Smalls. And Michelle has some great topics set up. Randy, yes. Oh, my bad. See, I already tripped over it. Day two. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. Okay, so, uh, Randy, yesterday we talked a lot about The Last Dance, ESPN's docuseries on Michael Jordan and the 90s Bulls. And there are some things that we left on the vine that we didn't get to, so I want to circle back here. So Darren Ravel had this great tweet. It was a picture of Michael Jordan signing the hotel room alcohol service bill after winning the title in 92. I can't imagine what that was, how, how expensive <laughs> that uh, bill was. But he also put as an anecdote in there that Jordan used to sign in or check into hotel rooms as Clark Kent or Leroy Smith, who was the man who beat him out for varsity basketball in high school. And we talk about Jordan having that chip on his shoulder. We talk about things that he had to use as motivation to really satiate that, that, you know, competitive fire that he had inside of him. But to think that he would sign in to road games or to championship games at hotel rooms as the guy who beat him out, that just tells you how competitive in the mind games that he played with himself all the time. He really did search far and wide for motivational things to put on his shoulder, motivational chips to put on his shoulder, which is brilliant because I don't think that I could do that on a regular basis. There's things that there, there are people in my life that I could try to react to, but I don't think I could do it as consistently. And that's what makes Michael Michael. Yeah, it seems exhausting. Yeah, it really does. To have to think about slights all the well, time and have them motivate. <laughs> and to to even be that way in your Hall of Fame speech, to reach the pinnacle and be going into the Hall of Fame and still talking. And if you get a chance to, on YouTube, check out his Hall of Fame speech, still looking for or talking about the chip that's on his shoulder. It's remarkable. It really is. And one of the main threads of episodes five and six of The Last Dance centered around Jordan's gambling and if that was the problem. And he says, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. But he talked to Ahmad Rashad during the documentary from NBC Sports at the time about his gambling. Before game one, and Mike goes, hey, man, can you go get a camera? I want to do this interview. about. They're going to talk about my gambling, man. I'm sick of all this stuff, man. Let's just get it done right now. I went, okay. Do you have a gambling problem? No, I enjoy it. It's a hobby. If I had a problem, 
I'd be starving. I'd be hawking this watch, my championship rings. I would sell my house. I would do this. My wife would left me on. She'd be starving. My kids would be starving. I do not have a problem. I, I enjoy gambling. Now, it didn't help that Michael had sunglasses on when he was doing the <laughs> interview. Let <laughs> me take them sunglasses off. <laughs> the media has taken it far greater than what it is. Uh, soon, whenever I walk away from this game, uh, I think that's the only thing that people are going to say was a bad thing about Michael Jordan. Could soon be after this year? Could be. I agree with Ahmad about the sunglasses. I, I don't think that Michael should have been wearing the sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that if you're making $30 million, he wasn't making $30 million at that time, I guess. But still, if you're making $6 million and you're you have the ability to lose $100,000 in one golf game, I think you do kind of have a problem. Whether it's a competitive problem or a a gambling problem, it's a problem. Yeah. That's a pretty good chunk of change. You know, I obviously was a, a young kid at this time, and from where I said having my life experience in the media and seeing the things that we have covered from the time that I have started this to look back on Jordan and see how squeaky clean he was and just what an international superstar and an international brand he was that the media would be so fixated on him gambling. I know that Mm -hmm. it was kind of scandalous at the time, but you'd think that because of everything else that he was at the time that they might overlook that, but it really seemed like people were looking for something to pick at him at. You're 100% correct about that because any city that has gambling that – a professional sports team goes to, players are going to go and gamble. Right. But they focus on him. There's a lot of players that make and lose a lot of money on gambling boats all over the country. But because it was Michael Jordan, it became a thing. It's amazing that the Sunday prior, we watched them talk about how Dennis Rodman left (laughs) mid-season because he needed a vacation to go to Vegas and that that didn't generate as much media attention as Michael Jordan gambling did, which is crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing. So we talk about Jordan having a competition problem, but I thought it was so fascinating that that didn't really extend to Kobe Bryant. I thought opening uh, opening episode five, I believe it was, yeah, the first one, episode five, with Kobe being involved in the All-Star game and listening in to all of these great All-Stars from the NBA talk about what a force Kobe was and what a problem he was going to be moving forward. Listening to them recognize the greatness in him, the young greatness in him, I thought was really cool. But then to think about Jordan, who was so competitive that he wanted to gamble with you about throwing a coin on the wall and that his entire life was about basketball and about winning, that he would take the time to mentor someone like Kobe Bryant and be that big brother figure to him, I thought was really special. Nobody was really thinking much of me. I was a, you know, a kid that shot a bunch of air balls, you know what I mean? And at that point, Michael provided a lot of guidance for me. Like, I had a question about shooting this turnaround shot, so I asked him about it. And, you know, he gave me a great detailed answer. But on top of that, he said, if you ever need anything, give me a call. It's like my big brother. There is a spectacular piece by Ramona Shelburne right now at ESPN.com, and I urge everybody to read it. And it's about Michael mentoring Kobe and Kobe being relentless in going to meet with Michael every time they played. The Laker bus would be delayed because Kobe had to talk to Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson would get upset because Kobe had to wait. And sometimes the Lakers bus would be delayed an hour because he had to get together with Michael and Michael gave him his phone number and 
associate said Michael never gave his phone number to young players. Mm-hmm. But once Kobe had his number, people around them knew that he was in. And he, Michael later said, and it might have even been at the uh, eulogy, that uh, the one guy that probably would have beaten me one-on-one is Kobe because he stole all my stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, it was an unusual relationship for Michael. Uh, I also think at at Kobe's memorial service, he talked about how his phone would be ringing at three o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning, and it'd be Kobe saying, "Hey, I'm thinking about this game. How would you attack this player? How would you have approached this situation in the game?" And it just seemed like what we identify in Michael as that competitive nature, that that true quest for greatness, he identified in Kobe early on. And so he, even with that competitive nature, could look at Kobe and say, you're going to be the one to carry the game on and I want to share with you is really remarkable. It was the quintessential big brother, little brother relationship where the little brother always wanted to come along. Yep. And he was saying, okay, let's go do this. Let's go do this. When are we going to go? Can I play? And at first... Michael said he was a nuisance, but then Michael did come to love him. Uh, Someone he didn't come to love, Randy, was certainly Isaiah Thomas. There was some bad bad blood between Michael and Isaiah Thomas, and uh, they did a great job chronicling the Dream Team and all of the star power that was in the Olympic Dream Team, 92, I believe, right, Randy? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people at that time said the reason Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the Dream Team was because Michael Jordan put the kibosh on it, and here's what he had to say in the doc about that. I respect Isaiah Thomas's talent. To me, the best point guard of all time is Magic Johnson and right behind him is Isaiah Thomas. No matter how much I hate him, I respect his game. Now, it was insinuated that I was asking about him, but I never threw his name in there. I don't know what went into that process. I met the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't. The dream team, based on the environment and the camaraderie that happened on that team, it was best harmony. Would Isaiah made a different feeling on that team? Yes. I love that Michael has plausible deniability because all he had to do was ask Rod Thorne who's playing. And as long as Rod Thorne didn't say Isaiah Thomas, then Michael was going to be in. And clearly it wasn't just Michael that felt that way about Isaiah Thomas, was it? It seemed like there were other guys on that team that also didn't want him in there. And we should also note, and I don't know if this is going to come up, later because they've kind of passed the, well, maybe not, maybe it'll come up later, but there was a an NBA All-Star game where Isaiah froze Michael out and told the other Eastern Conference players not to pass the ball to Michael Jordan in the All-Star game. Yeah, I, I think they did a great job in the doc of saying, did, did Jordan asking Thorne, who was playing, imply that he wouldn't play with Isaiah, yes. even even if it wasn't explicitly said, yes, did that have some sort of effect on him not being chosen? Of course. But they isolated the fact that he had had beef with a lot of different players, and that was who he was as an NBA player. And part of what made him so great is that he did antagonize people, and he did have that bad blood with them. And so, yeah, when you talk about Magic Johnson sitting there saying, we some of my greatest memories are from that dream team of everyone getting along and of us playing cards and the practices and things like that. It, Jordan's right. It wouldn't have been the same harmony had Isaiah been in the fold. And I'm going to disagree with Michael a little bit here, and I think he was being nice to Isaiah. Isaiah's probably a top five all-time point guard, but I put both Steve Nash and John Stockton ahead of Isaiah. In my, and I'm with Michael that Magic is the best all-time. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I would have taken Stockton and Nash, even though Nash didn't win a championship, and neither did Stockton for that matter. But I would have taken those guys ahead of Isaiah. 
I thought it was big of Jordan to say, hey, I respect his game. Yeah. Because honestly, if I had a sworn enemy or someone that I hated that much, I'd say, mm, he's all right. Yeah. And Stockton, by the way, <laughs> you know, Isaiah says, I, I met the criteria to be on that team. Stockton was just better. Magic and Stockton were both better, and they weren't going to add a third point guard. Great stuff. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That's your Killing Me Smalls here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we are just minutes away from Scoops with Danny Mack, and we're going to cross things over with our friend and the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest next on 101 ESPN. On Cinco de Mayo, the birthday of Chris Duncan, he would have been 39 today. And at 101 ESPN, we have the 101ESPN.com, we have the Dunctionary t-shirts available. And in addition to that, we have a fantastic dunk video that was put together uh, soon after the passing of Chris Duncan. Michelle did a great job with this, and it's available now. And if we just go to Michelle's social media, you can just uh, link right to it. Yeah, if you go... At M. Smallman, I've retweeted it, or you go to at 101 ESPN, and it's there. And it's just all of us in-house at, here at 101 ESPN sharing our favorite memories of Dunk. So click, give it a click and, and remember him today. The great Dan McLaughlin is with us. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. And I was telling Michelle. Morning, guys. Morning. Good morning, to see Dan. you. Yeah, you too. One of my favorite things about you, and Jack Buck always did this, is you make sure that you get to know young players right when they come up. Yep. So what were your initial impressions <laughs> of Dunk? <laughs> I'm going to talk about it on the show, but you know the thing that I think about with Chris Duncan is that um, as a player, I didn't know him very well. I tried. Believe me, I tried. And I'll never forget when we got into the business together and he started doing some work down on, on the television broadcasts. Um, I said, man, I, I said, the two guys I never, ever, I mean, you were last on the list of guys I thought would be media guys, and I think they're fabulous, are Brad Thompson and Chris Duncan. <laughs> And Dunk says to me, he says, Dan, he says, I know you tried to get to know me. I know you tried to interview me. I'm sorry. He said, he goes, matter of fact, I really liked you. He said, I was just worried about catching a damn fly ball. He said, I was so (laughs) consumed with catching a fly ball. And I said, you're serious. He said, absolutely, I'm serious. He said, I was so nervous catching a ball because he was playing out of position. He wasn't going to play first base because of Albert. They wanted his bat in the lineup, so the only way to do it, he's not a DH, is to play in the outfield. And he said, it just consumed me. You know, like mentally, I was just fried. And um, and so, you know, we all of a sudden now become partners on pregames and postgames and work together on television. And I was just amazed and floored at, n- number one, his insight, because when you don't really talk to a guy, you don't know what mm-hmm. makes them tick all that much. And then, two, his work ethic. Um he really worked hard at it. And I, I've always said when players come up to me and say, hey, and a lot of them do at the tail end of their careers, hey, I'm thinking about getting into the, the media. And I think Tim McCarver is a really good example of this. I say that is one chapter of your life when you played, okay? And it's great to refer to that chapter. It's a great reference point on certain aspects of what happens in a game. But now you're in the next chapter of your life. So if you want to be really good at this, You've got to work at it beyond just showing up and saying, well, when I played, I did this. We get it. You're really good. You're elite. You're a prof- you know, professional baseball player or whatever sport you're in. But to be really good at this, you got to work at it. And he worked and worked and worked. And I'm going to tell a story um, later in the show about one of the, the games that we did. We were doing the post game and how he went uh, pitch by pitch in an at-bat of just breaking it down live. He said, oh... He said, this pitcher's going to carve this guy up. 
and the hitter at the time didn't like outside pitches, couldn't handle it. And he goes, and the best part about this scenario, Danny Mac, he said, the umpire hates this guy, hates him, <laughs> he's, and he's going to take advantage of it. And sure enough, pitch by pitch, it went exactly how he said it. So, uh, yeah, we all miss him. He was a great talent, and um, I think it's awesome what 101 is doing today. And by the way, uh, on that night that we learned that he had passed away, you did a magnificent job. Those are hard circumstances, mm-hmm. impossible circumstances to do your job, and you overcame those impossible circumstances, and you couldn't have done a better job in making that announcement. I appreciate that. I, uh, I'm going to talk about that, too, in the, the opening segment. You know, you get asked about what are your favorite calls, and then you never get asked what are your toughest calls mm-hmm. or moments or comments that you have to make, and and that was one of them. You know, we were in the middle of a game when that was going on, and Anthony Stalter called me. And so there was just so many things going th- through my mind. It was during commercial break, and you only got about 60 seconds or 90 seconds during the break when he called. And I, I just I, I said, look, I don't feel comfortable doing this um, because, you know, number one, I don't have the blessing of the family. You know, I want to make sure that we're good there. And he said, no, no, no the family actually wanted you to do it because they wanted Cardinal Nation to hear it and they know so many people are, are watching and they want to get the word out and they thought you'd be the guy to do it. And that's, I'd asked Jim Edmonds to take us out of break and I came back and he could see I, I was, you know, I was overcome with some emotion with that and, and just I felt I felt that I needed to get it out however it came out and try to do it justice. And, um, and Jimmy, I, I should make sure that people know I always say that that Jim Edmonds is a fabulous teammate, um, and I had heard that from other players, just how great he was. For instance, Ricky Ankeel's trying to take his job, and he's sitting there teaching Ricky Ankeel how to play outfield. Mm-hmm. You know, he's helping guys. In my line of work, um, he's unbelievable. It just you, you got to if you're partners, you got to take care of each other, you cover for each other, you help each other. And Jimmy has been remarkable in that. When Chris Duncan passed away, it was Jimmy getting members of the 06 team or any of those guys that played with Dunk to make sure and get out to the memorial mm-hmm. uh, to to honor Chris. And it was Jimmy getting on the phone uh, all day. The next day, we, we were in Pittsburgh, and the, the, the days after that, saying, hey, we're either going to get a private plane or what we're we going to do, but we're all going out there. And, I mean, he gathered up guys that they haven't heard from in years except for reunion, the 06 reunion. So um, Jimmy was unbelievable in doing that, and that's the kind of guy that Jim Edmonds is. I can't imagine what it was like for you in that moment to not only receive and process that news, but then figure out how to control those emotions and tell an entire group of uh, an entire community of people that loved Chris Duncan that this had happened. And I was actually in Minnesota. I was at a Twins game when I got the text that it had happened. And we knew Dunk was sick and we knew that he was in this battle, but he was just so full of life that to hear that it had happened, it, it didn't really resonate with me, at least in that moment. I just had to really think about it and say, did this really happen for someone that was so larger than life? So for you to do that was was really well done, Dan. I appreciate it. I, I would not have done it, though, without the blessing of the family. Sure. And and normally on any of those kind of things, and we a lot of times get information about uh, players that maybe have passed or former players that passed, but sensitive information that you really you don't go on the air with it. You hold it back because you want to make sure, number one, to get it confirmed. Number two, you want to make sure that you get it uh, to the proper people within the organization. And when you're dealing with somebody that passed, you want to make sure the family they don't want to learn it on a game and having people sit there and go, oh, I heard somebody passed away in your family. You know, that's that's not how you want to do it. But when I said to Anthony, I said, are you sure 
that the family is okay with me doing it. And they and he said, they want you to do it. I felt that I need to do it right now because this is this is very important to them. Um, and, and that's the way that we felt that we should deliver the news. And as much as he loved baseball, as we all know, Chris lived and died with baseball. I mean, mm-hmm. he loved it. Um, it was the proper way to maybe honor him that night. Dan McLaughlin looks great. He's in great shape. Do you still celebrate Taco Tuesday? I will. I, I think I will today. Especially it's Cinco, Cinco de Mayo, Mayo man. Too, yeah. You have to, you know. Um, that's what we've been trying to do as a family. We do a little carry out, you know. We do, and my kids love Mexican food. Mm-hmm. I mean, they love it. So I'm sure we're going to have like more nachos and cheese going on tonight, soft tacos beef chicken whatever we got yeah the play well i walked eight miles yesterday so i'm for you yeah i'm I'm like you know hey you have a fitbit i don't but i know the the distances that i walk so i need to get one of those because i need to get my heart rate up more you can count your steps on your phone there's an app for that i know but i'm bring your phone with you i i'm not really technically that good (laughs) at things i'm not really bright michelle that's why i'm in this business so dan taco tuesday are you a hot sauce guy do you like your tacos hot no no not at all okay i didn't expect i thought you were gonna say yes absolutely not no i like my kids we laugh about it when we have like let's say you've got um some type of like fiery sauce on a thing Mm -hmm. i have to they watch me sweat (laughs) and then they watch me go to the refrigerator and go into the freezer and get ice and put it on my lips and they're like what is wrong with you because my daughter loves hot sauce she's like what is wrong i said look at me i'm sweating this sucks i can't do hot sauce either i can't I'm with you. And we're food connoisseurs, we Randy. Are. Big time. Big time. Yeah. I am doing uh, I, I am doing tacos, smoked tacos tonight on the Traeger Grill. They're Pretty good. delicious. By yeah. the way, did you bring in donuts from Schnucks? I didn't because these guys told me that wow. they- uh, Michelle had a smoothie ready. I did. I've been bringing a smoothie. Well, I want to say every morning it's been two days. Okay. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if, uh, That'll change as oh, this goes donuts on. Donuts are a dead solid lock guarantee for Wednesday morning. I'm, I'm very- That's disappointing. Because I can always count on you for food. Always. Uh, count on me tomorrow, big boy. All right. I'm just <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I'm a little disappointed in you. We you don't pre- disappoint me often. We could have done a theme, Randy. Breakfast tacos. Yeah. You know, oh, hey. We could have played that. But we can we can do something tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow right. will be something special. I guarantee it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> okay great. All right. I mean, if you want to put like the Boston cream, if you want to get a little, mm-hmm. you know, glazed, whatever. Okay. Just, I'm just throwing Suggestions it out Suggestions are good. I <laughs> yeah. like that. Okay. Uh, we're looking forward to the show. Yeah, looking forward to it. Going to go run through a bunch of the news of the day. When sports may come back with certain experts. And uh, Brad Thompson is going to join me from the fast lane. One of, as we all know, one of his best uh, friends and teammates. And those minor league stories are great. So we'll, we'll visit with Brad. Scoops with Danny Mac next. Thanks to uh, Tommy Freeze Pops Carol. Uh, doing a great job as our producer. Colin Surrey, our board op. Michelle, wonderful as always. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. Yep. We'll see you tomorrow on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN.